Hey, y'all. Welcome to the White Coat, White Collar Podcast, where we help current and aspiring STEM and healthcare professionals demystify the career landscape. I'm your resident host and corporate scientist, Dr. Aurelia Whitmore. Each and every episode, I'm bringing you along as I talk shop with active professionals. We're discussing career journeys from white coat to white collar and everywhere in between. So turn the volume up and let's get this interview started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the White Coat, White Collar podcast. I'm so excited to have Dr. Shanae Samuels here today. Hi, Shanae. Hi, Dr. Whitmore. (laughs) So glad to have you here. Shanae is super amazing. We actually met from Bolt Beam McKnight Fellows, which is a doctoral fellowship funded program for doctoral students in the state of Florida. And we also met through mutual friend, Sharice. Shout out to my Caribbean girls. <laughs> <laughs> but Shanae, I'm so excited to have you here. You hold a PhD in health services research. You have so many different titles, which we're going to get into. But I like to start every episode off with an icebreaker. And so a common icebreaker, we might as well just name it the icebreaker of the season because everyone likes this icebreaker. But what was your very first job before ever stepping foot into a college campus? All right. So thanks for having me, first of all. Yes. Appreciate it. And very first job. So when I was in high school, which was so many years ago, I'm aging myself. I worked for a chiropractor's office in um, South Florida. Okay. And I was the girl in the mall handing out some paper for free 30 minutes massage. So it was like their way of marketing and getting new clients. They would offer like a free 30 minutes massage. And I was a girl in the mall with the coupons trying to get people's attention. You know, when people are in the mall, right. they don't want it. They're just yes. like, leave oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Stop approaching me. I'm just trying to shop. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So that was my first job. And then, Outside of that, um, sometimes I go in the office and help them with like scheduling and mm-hmm. kind of like receptionist work. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that's First. cool. OK, so, you know, that's very interesting. So it seems like and again, we're going to get into what you do now in your journey, but you've been in the healthcare space or at least have interest in the healthcare space for a while. Yeah. I mean, okay. ever since I was probably like five or something. Right. So growing yeah. up. Did you know, like, I know a lot of times for us PhDs, sometimes we, like me personally, especially my father was a, was a medical doctor. He was an OBGYN. And so growing up, that was like the doctors that I knew. So like growing up, did you know you always want to be a doctor? Did you know you want to be a PhD doctor? Tell me a little bit about that. So yeah, for me, it was a medical doctor mm-hmm. in the Caribbean. You know, you're either a medical doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. So I mm-hmm. chose medical doctor. Yes. And part of that was I just loved the sciences. I loved anything related to medicine. I was that, you know, child that was always watching medical series, you know, had the toys with the stethoscope and everything. So I just always wanted to be in the medical field. But then that changed once I went to UF. And I think it was organic chemistry that did it for me. Ooh. 
I just talked to somebody about this the other day. Oh my God. I swear, Argo was like the death of so many people's STEM careers. It was <laughs> Oh my gosh. We need to find like a master Orgo tutor because I've just heard this story Please. like just way too many times. Yeah. If you're out yeah. there, any Orgo. Tutors, please help us, please. <laughs> so, wow. So, orgo, organic chemistry, that's what made you take a turn and focus on a different career path. So, your bachelor's is in health education from the University of Florida. So, did mm-hmm. you start off in health education? Were you like pre-med, bio, and then switched? So, I was pre-med for three years. And I think the first year I was undecided. So I wasn't quite sure what I wanted my official major to be. But I always had an interest in just how to make communities healthier, how to make individuals healthier. So when Mm -hmm. I looked through, you know, the different colleges, for some reason, public health did not cross my mind then. But I saw health education and behavior, and I'm like, oh, this is perfect. And that was, I mean, I loved my undergraduate major. The only part that I didn't enjoy was pre-med. So it was like, you know, this is not for me. And um, beyond that, like, I felt like I wanted to tackle, you know, healthcare more on a population level and not Mm -hmm. necessarily patients and, Mm -hmm. you know, doing it individually. I mean, obviously the work that medical doctors do and nurses and clinicians in general is very important. We all need Mm -hmm. individual care, but I wanted to have a broader impact. So Mm -hmm. then it just made sense. Once I stumbled across public health, I was like, Mm -hmm. perfect. Right. Yeah. 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 So it was easy to go from health education to public health to to obtaining your MPH. Right. So where in your MPH program did you, I mean, why not do a DRPH? Why tap into doing a PhD? Yeah. So for me, what I envisioned was, you know, combining research with health policy measures. So I absolutely love health policy. Like when I took health education and behavior as my major, one of the pet peeves of mine was that I felt like we would always focus on the individual and be like, oh, how can individuals, you know, make personal behavior choices or how can they change to make, you know, a healthier lifestyle, which is fine. But then I felt like there wasn't much focus on like the external factors. So like, Mm -hmm. do these individuals have access to healthy foods in their neighborhood? Do they have insurance so that they can keep up with their annual visits? Things like that. Mm -hmm. So I've always had a love for health policy. And I felt like having a research background would kind of help me to you know, look at policies that already exist and be able to do research and see, you know, is it working? Or is it not working? So the DRPH tends to not focus as much on the research aspect. So ultimately, I was like, I'll just do a PhD. So Mm -hmm. Okay, so you love research. You love research. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just say someone's listening now and they have an MPH and they know they want to further, you know, they want to pursue even more higher education. Like, what are the main differences between a DRPH and a PhD and a similar realm? Like, what would those main differences be? And for someone who's trying to make a decision based on the experience in that, in an MPH role? 
So the PhD is very heavily focused on research. So if you're in a PhD program, you're expected to, you know, be active in research, be working with faculty to produce research. The way we're measured typically is how many publications you have. Once you get to the level of being able to apply for grant funding, are you getting grants under your belt as well? Whereas the DRPH tends to not focus that much on research. So I'd say if you see yourself in an administrative role, for instance, at a hospital, but you just want that added education so that you're kind of an expert in a particular area, then I would say go for the DRPH um, if you really could care less about doing research. That's just not your thing. You just want to be an administrator in a hospital and make your impact there. If you are a research geek, <laughs> is what I'm going to call it. If you really love research and you just love, you know, you're curious, you just always want to be finding the next evidence for some area of interest, then the PhD is your thing. Go for the yeah. PhD. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And that's the path that you chose. And so your PhD is in health services. You're a health service researcher. So what does that mean? So, yeah. So a health services researcher is pretty much a broad term for data scientists who focus on primarily three aspects of healthcare. So access to care, healthcare cost, and quality of care. So ultimately, our goal is to do research that will determine how best we can deliver care, how can we impact patient outcomes, as well as, you know, ultimately figuring out how can we reduce cost, improve quality of care, and improve access to care. So that's primarily what we focus on. And then the skills that we learn as a health services researcher, of course, can be you know, transfer to any other research position, which is, you know, I'm mostly focusing on clinical research now. And there are some ties, like I tend to do outcomes research, so patient outcomes research, and there's definitely some, you know, relation to health services research in that aspect. That's awesome. So after obtaining your PhD in health services research, actually, why don't you also tell us what your focus was on? What was your your dissertation? Yeah. So remember I said I love health policy. Um, One of the health policy that I have always been particularly interested in is, you know, policy that impacts access to care. So um, I looked at the impact of Medicaid expansion And whether or not that had an impact on individuals with ambulatory care-sensitive conditions, which are essentially conditions that are best managed in your physician's office. If they're not appropriately managed in a physician's office, then, you know, most times you may end up being hospitalized and it's considered preventable because, you know, if you were receiving usual care, then your condition wouldn't have deteriorated to the point where you're in the hospital now. So I looked at access to care and utilization among individuals with sensitive conditions and -hmm. looked at whether or not they had ER visits and whether or not they were actually admitted from the ER. Hmm. So that was my primary focus. Anything related to access to care is my passion. I love access to care. For sure, for sure. 
And I'm sure you probably are well aware of the disparities that Blacks have in regards to access to care. Is that also part of the reason why you're you're passionate about it, being of African descent? Absolutely. Actually, that's part of the reason why even with, you know, wanting to become a medical doctor and making that transition to public health, it was just perfect for me because even within my own family, I had individuals that weren't able to access care. They didn't have insurance. They couldn't mm-hmm. go to, you know, do their annual visits. I have, you know, an aunt that, you know, passed away pretty early because she couldn't get access to care in Jamaica. So this mm-hmm. has been like a constant thing in my life. It's something that I've noticed from a young age. And when I stumbled upon public health, I'm like, these are the issues they're tackling in public health. Like, this mm-hmm. is where I need to not saying that as a physician, you can't tackle those issues as well. You know, again, looking at the population impacts versus individual impacts was just where I needed to be. Right, right. That's awesome. So yeah. I know a lot of times finishing your PhD and finding a job in your field or your niche can be a bit of a challenge at times. But you, Missy, you got a tenured track <laughs> professor position right after finishing your PhD. So tell us about that. Tell us how that even came about. So honestly, I would say that my story definitely points to the importance of networking, being on LinkedIn, updating your profile. You know, I was at the time, like I was a PhD candidate. I was actively looking for jobs. Funny story is I did not want to go into academia. Like I was like, there's no way. So, but I was looking for jobs. I updated my LinkedIn frequently. And I think for my headliner, I had something of the sort, like doctoral candidate currently looking for a position in healthcare. Yeah. And I remember one day... I hadn't defended my dissertation yet. So I was, you know, maybe like a couple weeks away from defending. Mm-hmm. And I just remember one day I was, you know, looking through my emails and I see a message from someone on LinkedIn. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what is this? You know, pretty much the chair of the department reached out to me and said, hey, we are looking for a faculty member to join our team here in Texas. And I'm like, Texas. I want to say Florida, (laughs) but as a soon to be, you know, recent PhD graduate, you're just kind of like, I'm going to take the first job I can get. Mm, For sure. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) I just need money because you're not making money when you're a PhD. (laughs) That part. I was like, all right, let's, you know, so I replied and Mm -hmm. I said, all right, you know, I'll send you over my CV. He said, send it over. We'll connect, have an interview. So yeah, I sent over my CV and had an interview with him and other faculty members. So first it was like a phone interview. And then I flew up to Texas and had the in-person, you know, typical presentation and interview. And yeah, I landed the job and was also offered an administrative role as a program director, which was pretty cool. Like straight out of, you know, my program. Um, Right. That's awesome. Was it a lot of work? It was. 
Yeah. I can imagine like right after school, you're a program director and an assistant professor. It sounds great, but it also sounds like a lot as a first stepping stone to your career right after school. Yeah, it definitely was. And, you know, so I transitioned. So at first when I went in, they had me as like assistant program director with the understanding that I would transition into that program director role. So that allowed me to kind of, you know, be trained. So but even as the assistant program director, it was just a lot because as a program director, all the issues that arise within that particular program with the students, the faculty, Mm -hmm. you're the person. Um, Yes. (laughs) So it was challenging, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I'd say if, People truly see themselves, you know, being in administration, in academia, take on the challenge. Um, But for me, like I wanted more time to do more research and I just did not have the time. Right, right. We do research, you know, so it was difficult in that regards. Right. I also want to specify, too, that this was a tenure track role. And I know a lot of times for professors, for those coming into a university, it takes time to get tenure. So was that something you negotiated as coming on? Like, hey, if I'm going to, you know, uproot my life and move here, I need to be on a tenure track. Or was that something offered in the package? So that was offered in the package. So the discussion at that point was more so, you know, what would my allocation of time be for like research and, you know, Mm -hmm. the administrative role that I was also offered. But it was a tenure track position and I went in as an assistant professor. So just like the entry level professor Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Okay. Awesome. So I know that, you know, we've spoken offline and, you know, you've since switched roles now and you've moved back Mm -hmm. to Florida. So you've transitioned (laughs) from academia and into the healthcare industry now. So you're currently a research scholar at Memorial Healthcare System. Why don't you tell us what do you do there as a research scholar? Is that a permanent position? Is that you know, like a visiting scientist type of position. (laughs) Tell us what the role is, what you do there and all of that good stuff. Yeah. So research scholar is probably, you know, you'd probably just say research scientist. They call it scholar, but it's probably equivalent to like a research scientist position that you would see in other industries or at other organizations. So essentially what we do is there's only about two of us in the organization and we are primarily focused on helping clinicians and medical students and medical residents with their research. So um, they have a graduate medical education program. And with that, you know, the residents are expected to do research. So oftentimes they're either taking on their own research or they're collaborating with, you know, physicians that are kind of like overseeing them. So we help mm-hmm. them with study design. We help them with analysis, of course. We help them with interpreting the data, preparing items for publication, so abstracts, manuscripts. And in turn, we get to publish with them, which is great. So Yay. I'm like all over the place, yeah, <laughs> which can be a challenge because I do yeah. not have a medical background at all. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. 
So, you know, so essentially we're there just to support clinicians and diverse to, you know, just conduct research. Because even though right. they're clinicians, you know, a lot of them are still wanting to to move their fields forward. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, they do at least have access to, you know, electronic medical records. And, mm-hmm. you know, oftentimes we end up doing retrospective chart reviews. Mm-hmm. And yeah. We'll look at patient outcomes. We'll look at, you know, whether or not a certain clinical metric is associated with maybe like, I don't know, an outcome of some sort. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting. stuff. But it's definitely not two years ago when I started, well, over two years ago when I started this position. Mm-hmm. I was nervous because I was like, I do not have a clinical background. I don't know yeah. how I'm going to do this. But it's actually become quite interesting. Right. That's but, awesome. So... Why from academia to the healthcare industry? Why'd you make that switch? So for me, it was a part of it is it's the job that I could find down here. I'll just be honest. The job you could find in Florida. In Florida, like specifically Mm -hmm. in South Florida, because I was like, if I move from Texas, I want to go back to South Florida. My boyfriend at the time, no husband was there. My family was there. Mm -hmm. I was like, I want to be with my family and my Mm -hmm. boyfriend, you know, well, husband. So, so for me, like I was, you know, really focusing on South Florida as Mm -hmm. a region where I could, you know, find a job within industry because I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to go back to academia because that was not my intent when I got my PhD. Like I was not, the, you know, typical PhD that wanted to be in academia. So I ended up getting this job here. I was, you know, looking around and I realized that, oh, healthcare systems have research departments. Yes. Who would have thought? That would not have been my first thought. I was primarily looking for like research scientist positions, data scientist positions. And a lot of those titles when I would search would like bring me to like the DMV area, you know, like uh, that's where it's yeah, at. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. So you just did a Google search. Like how did you search for these? Several Google, mm-hmm. LinkedIn. LinkedIn is like mm-hmm. my, my thing. Like I was, I was using LinkedIn a lot. I set up mm-hmm. alerts through LinkedIn mm-hmm. with particular keywords mm-hmm. and, you know, the region And I also did like, you know, the traditional, maybe like Indeed, public health, um, the American Public Health Association, I believe has like a listing of jobs and even Academy Health, which is specific to health services research. Okay, that's a good tip. Yeah, they tend to have like positions posted that are specific to those areas. So I also used like those organizations because I was, Mm -hmm. you know, a professional member for, I think it was Academy Health at the time. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I just, I searched everywhere, high and low. So could you filter the searches? Like, did you filter for Florida or was it just a broad search and then you just kind of pick out or just kind of skim through it and see what applies for you? Yeah. So LinkedIn, you're able to filter. So like for LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. I got like very specific, like I was like Fort Lauderdale. Miami. Yes. These are the regions that I'm interested in. Um, right. I'm trying to remember. I don't think the other ones, 
at the time, I don't know now. I right. don't know if right. they had the capability to like filter based on region. But mm-hmm. I know for LinkedIn, definitely, I remember like I was like Fort Lauderdale, Miami. Yes. Yeah. Else. I won't be anywhere right. else. <laughs> so. <laughs> Okay, that's awesome. So again, you just decided to make the change to get back to Florida. Mm-hmm. Now, like, because I know you mentioned earlier, like doing research is, was high priority for you. So mm-hmm. if you could compare the position in Texas to the position now, which one is more heavily involved in research or are they pretty much equal? Definitely this one. Yeah, this definitely. One. Okay, great. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. So it's perfect because one of the concerns I had with, you know, being a program director at the time, which is something I probably tell people to consider, like if you're a new PhD graduate and you're, you know, going into academia is, you know, maybe leave the administrative role, unless that's something that you truly see yourself doing. And, you know, you don't necessarily care to have too many publications, like you just want to be the chair of a department eventually. But even with that, I feel like it's still good to be published, to be well published, to Mm -hmm. hold those types of position, because you're expected to kind of mentor young faculty members that are coming in, who may want to do research. But, you know, I didn't have as much time to do research. So that was mm-hmm. like concerning for me as a, you know, young PhD. Mm-hmm. Like I'm like, over measured. Right. right. I need to do research. And it differs. Like mm-hmm. some PhDs, they don't necessarily want to do a ton of research. But for me, like mm-hmm. I still wanted to be out there publishing. So I specifically looked for positions that were going to allow me to have the time to mm-hmm. just do research. And that's why when I was doing my search, it was research scientists. It was data scientists, Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. anywhere scientists in there. Like I was, I was looking. (laughs) Like that's me. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So Shanae, you also are an affiliate associate professor at Florida Atlantic University. You're community-based faculty and assistant professor at FIU. Both institutions, you work in the College of Medicine. So, I mean, obviously, you still have a love for teaching and being a professor because you found your way to two universities in Florida. So tell us, how do you juggle that in your role where you're, like, as you mentioned before, not having any clinical experience and then being, like, you know, fully immersed in oncology and pediatrics and all, like, how do you juggle it all? And at what point of your new job did you say, okay, now I'm ready to maybe, you know, make some extra income, have some extra experience? Yeah. So the affiliate faculty positions luckily don't take up that much of my time. It's kind of intertwined with my current position because Mm -hmm. I work a lot with their students. So like their medical students that may do rotations in the hospital, they're also involved in research. The residents are involved in research that may have come from those institutions. So because of my frequent, very frequent interactions with their students. I hold these two positions because mm-hmm. I'm you know, assisting their students with research. Mm-hmm. And in turn, I get to utilize their resources, like for instance, their library, which has been mm-hmm. phenomenal because, you know, when you're in academia, you get access to, you know, the online library for your yeah. research. Being in, you know, a healthcare system, you don't necessarily have yeah. access to 
It's kind of like a trade between, you know, we're, we're assisting their medical students and their residents with research, and we get to kind of utilize some of their resources that are mm-hmm. available to us. And we do also work with some of the faculty members as well. You know, there's a lot of collaboration mm-hmm. between the healthcare system and the university as well. So mm-hmm. luckily in that aspect, it doesn't take too much of my time. In terms of at what point during my job, like transition to healthcare industry where I actually felt comfortable, I guess, I'd say probably within a year, if okay. not longer, okay. if not longer, yeah. <laughs> because... <laughs> No, I was just, and I mean, I've been with this position for maybe over two years now, and there's still times where I'm challenged. But, you know, what I realized is that, and I think at first I struggled with this, you know, Mm -hmm. as a new PhD, you kind of want to come across as if you know everything. Sometimes you're kind of afraid to speak up and be like, hey, I don't entirely know this topic. Can you Mm -hmm. educate me so I can help you? Right. Help me help you. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So I really had to like learn to be like, all right, Mm -hmm. listen, this is not my area of expertise. Right. Let's sit down, talk about this, flush this out so that I can fully understand this so that we can make sure that your studies designed correctly and all of that. So I think once I started doing that and asking and learning what questions to ask too, because that's important. It Mm -hmm. definitely got easier and Mm -hmm. it hasn't been as difficult in Mm -hmm. maybe like year two or more. So, yes. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So you also have one other role. So you're not just Mm -hmm. a research scholar in the healthcare industry. You're not just an affiliate associate professor at two universities. (laughs) You're also a health policy research specialist at Florida Health Mm -hmm. Justice Project. So, Briefly tell us about that role, why you're so passionate about it. I know this is like something you absolutely love doing. So share your heart with us. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so this role is, you know, it's definitely a role that is near and dear to my heart. You know, I, I just love anything having to do with health disparities research. Like I'm one of those people where I strongly believe that, everyone deserves regardless of their age, their race, their sexual orientation, their socioeconomic status, they deserve quality care and access to care. Like bottom line. Yes. <laughs> so, Period. Period. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I was, you know, like I get to do some of that work in my current position because there's actually some clinicians that are very passionate about health disparities work as well. But I felt like I just needed more because that's my thing, right? Like I'm like, mm-hmm. I want to do more and I want to make an impact. So within this role, you know, it tends to be contracted work. And what I'll do is, you know, assist them with maybe writing briefs. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> At the beginning of the pandemic, I helped them with looking at just like the state of COVID-19 disparities. Mm -hmm. I mean, we realized very quickly that it was the same story emerging for COVID-19 where people of color were disproportionately affected. 
So mm. I'm kind of their person, like whenever they have a question about like yeah. that needs to support something, I'm like, all right, mm-hmm. I got you. Let me go look. Yes. <laughs> so, yes, yes. It's awesome. Yeah. So it's been great. We, you know, we work on not just COVID-19. That's kind of like primarily what I focus on lately because we're in the midst of COVID-19. Yeah. Because it's very relevant. <laughs> it's very it's relevant. Still very relevant. Yeah. It's still very relevant. So that's kind of like my main focus right now. But we do a lot in terms of Medicaid expansion. Florida is, you know, a state that has chosen not to expand. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's another decision that disproportionately impacts people of color. Like people of color tend to live in states that have chosen not to, you know, expand Medicaid expansion. And we tend to have higher rates of individuals who are not insured. And if you were living in a state that had chosen to expand Medicaid, then maybe you could, you know, fall within the bracket where you could be eligible for Medicaid. So that's something that's near and dear to them and something that is near and dear to me. That's something that I worked on in my dissertation. So that has been like a huge topic and maternal mortality, you know, Mm. that Mm. black women are heavily impacted in that regard. So I mean, they are touching on all the the very important topic and it's honestly an honor to have that role as well, because it just, it allows me to really work on my passion, you know, outside of work. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And I think what really speaks to who you are is that like everything you're doing ties back into the community and understanding your community from working at a health system in Florida to educating physicians in Florida through being a professor, to working for a nonprofit. I'm assuming Florida Health Justice Project is a nonprofit, right? So that's amazing. Like everything you're doing ties back into what you love. So I know your cup is just always full. (laughs) Which is, I mean, it has definitely been, you know, coming from a place of being in academia, which was still great. Like I, Mm. you know, there were certain aspects of my job that I enjoyed. Like I loved Mm. seeing some of the students excel and, you know, Mm. that's still something I love mentorship. Like I love Mm. mentoring people as well, but Mm. just coming back to Florida where, you know, apart from Jamaica, I spent 15 years of my life in Jamaica, Florida Mm. has been home and coming back and being able to make an impact in so many areas has just been. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Shanae, if there was one word of advice or just something else you want to leave our scholars, our listeners, maybe those in academia seeking to transition into the healthcare system, like what advice would you leave them with today? Oh, man. All right. Good one. (laughs) (laughs) So I would say follow your passion. Make sure that the work you're doing is something you truly care about. This goes especially for PhD students who are trying to make it through a program, you want to make sure that you're passionate about what you're studying. At the same time, realize that 
a done dissertation is a good dissertation. So don't get hung up on the little things. If your committee members are like, mm-hmm. hey, you need to change this. Like, don't get hung up on the little things because you want to get out. You can work on your passion when you get out after you get that. Yes. <laughs> but even beyond the PhD program, just make sure that you're, you know, in a position that aligns with what you're passionate about. It will make life right. a lot easier. You know, and think about things beyond income when you're looking Mm -hmm. for a job. Think about Mm -hmm. ideally where you want to settle. What's important to you outside of just simply holding that title? Is it being close to family? Mm -hmm. Is it being in a nice tropical climate like South Florida? Or do you like winters? (laughs) Like think about all Right, seriously. All those little things add up to happiness. It does. And, you know, I learned that because while I met some amazing people in Texas, like I just, I wanted to be in South Florida. You missed home. Yeah, you missed home. home. So I definitely say just follow your passion and always think outside of just your job. Like think about what else outside of your career makes you happy. Awesome. Well, thank you, Shanae. I'm so happy you took time to do this today. And we'll definitely have to have you back talking a little bit more about your research. I would definitely want to hear more about, you know, maternity and mortality and and the African-American community with pregnant women and just some of the other things that you focus your passions on. So we'll definitely have you back. And thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me and hope to be back. Yes. That concludes today's episode of the White Coat, White Collar podcast. If you like these discussions and want to continue hearing more, please subscribe and leave a comment on the platform that you've tuned into today. For more resources on unique career options for STEM and healthcare professionals, please follow White Coat, White Collar on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. If you love what I'm doing and would like to be a sponsor to help me continue demystifying the career landscape, please visit whitecoatwhitecollar.com forward slash sponsor. Thank you for tuning in and all the best on your career journey. Remember, take the journey one step at a time and don't be too hard on yourself. You got this. Until next time.